25 years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Vampire the Requiem. Hi everybody and welcome back to another recording of 25 Years Presents Vampire Requiem. Today we're going over ghouls, naturally. That's the, the book we said we were going to and like the slavish lords, uh, our ancient masters, whatever you want to call them, we want more juice this month, so we got to make sure that we deliver uh, for today. I, of course, am accompanied by Brennan. Brennan, how you doing? Hey, everyone. I'm doing well. Hope you all are, too. See? That's a lot of hope and cheer. Uh, we're down at DJ because he received an injection. That's right. It's his second injection of Go Juice. So he is uh, trying to battle COVID his way, and he lives in New York. So we know that's a Petri dish for COVID, so if he doesn't get that, things go bad. And uh, wisely he took the day off i mean that's just what he needs to do and he needs to get healthier which means you just got me and bruntron today running shop on this requiem so also means you don't have any defense no not at all there's no one i can i can divert to or deflect to it's all me but it's all right this is a courage under fire as they say i gotta tell you about requiem in and of itself the ghouls do not seem to be that dramatically different um, from what we know and love in V20, right? That's, I want to state that out the bat. If you're looking for a drastic difference, you're, you're not going to find it. You will find a difference in the nuance, the depth, right? right? That, that much I will guarantee you. Now, to everyone listening, well, duh. Fine. I guess you know everything. I guess you can stop listening. But to those of you who didn't think it was so simple, I guess we will continue the podcast. Now, I, for one, um, am stoked that there are inspirations for this. Well, not only go over mood and theme and everything else, but they're quick to point back to their original material. They, they stated all that in the main book, and this is an enhancement. I love that. They actually state that this is to go with and, and add depth to the Requiem book you already have. And you know those things. Went over that to death, so that's a good thing. And this focuses more on where they got the idea from ghouls from. And, uh, or I should say where the wellspring of inspiration came from. And they cited some interesting material. There's Dracula. We all know that, the lovable Renfield. Dark Shadows, and, and, and Brentron, I wasn't even a thought when Dark Shadows came out, so that's Barnabas so, Colin. Okay, it was him. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. I had to stop and think, like, what, what was Dark Shadows? And I did see the movie with Johnny Depp, so I'm not completely ignorant of that inspiration, although I think that was after this book. The movie <laughs> so made comical count. something I had to talk to my mom about. We bonded on Dark Shadows. She actually showed it to me. Uh, from really? the, yeah, absolutely, because we did the whole Anne Rice kick where we were reading the books and whatnot. Me and my mom uh-huh. bonded over vampires. She wanted to know what I was into, and when she did, she really got into it. So we did the Anne Rice novels and talked back and forth about it all the time uh, for for a while, at least while it was hot, before we got tired of like every every other month and seeing all Anne Rice is throwing another vampire at us, and we were like, come on, <laughs> you know, let's just get done. It was a King Louis, let's stack the god. Like, okay, we're good. We're golden. Uh, but then... She's like, if you checked out Dark Shadows, I didn't know anything about it. Barnabas Collins is like a 60s pimp hanging out at this old school joint in that show from I remember. And it was like everybody tried to have a normal dramatic life. Like, you know, like Sands in the Hourglass or the Days of Our Lives. Like it was that. <laughs> Except Barnabas Collins is back there snaking people in the neck, stealing blood. Right? It's like you're going to go, Joni sleeping with Chachi. Barnabas is like, oh, is she? Tell me all about it over here. Yeah, all right. And they go with him, and Barnabas would throw the old cape up, and you'd see that pimp ring, right? That's how he uh-huh. memorized people. He had, like, some pimp hypnotist ring, and you would look at its gaudiness, 
And they'd show a close up and man, I remember I just remember being in the hall and yawning. Yes, that's all I was doing. How about we go down to the sock hop and perhaps catch some surfing at night under the moonlight while we can. <laughs> oh, is Debbie coming? No, Joni loves Chachi and she tuckered herself out telling me all about it. Hey, bro, you got some strawberry sauce on your lip. My bad. Mmm. Homemade. And then they would leave, right? That's kind of how Dark Shadows was. You know, it was done real pimp, real cool on a down low, got to be subtlety. It was still horrific, right? There was still a rage to this guy or some or some depth and some romanticism, naturally, but it wasn't uh, overt. I, it wasn't my cup of tea because of how dated it was, but at the same right. time, still had a vampire in it, so it was cool to watch it. It was cool to check out an episode or two with my mom, but it was definitely great to see it. But I, I wanted to pull your, your chain on two of these. Okay. The Torture Garden. Have you heard about this? The Torture Garden. Um, I've heard about a couple of Torture Gardens, I'll be honest. But for uh, for um, uh, an inspiration, like, outside of Requiem? No, I've not. That was, uh, that was a new one to me, and so was, uh, so was Permanent Midnight. Exactly. I saw those, and I was like, nice. It was cool to see something I had no reference to. I was like, okay, okay. The story of O, I have heard about. I, I, did, I did not hear it in the sense of, I don't know if this is right, but I'll tell everybody how I heard it, because it was an interesting conversation at Denny's, which should already tell you to pay attention. Mm-hmm. This particular girl had asked me if I ever seen or checked out the story of O, and I didn't know if it was a movie or a book or whatever. Uh, but she said it was about a, about a woman in interesting circumstances in service to some guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, no. I hadn't heard of it. And she goes, well, you should totally check it out and we should talk about it sometime. And I was with her character. That's the only thing she ever told me about it. And then she went on to play some Tremere. Really, she wanted to play a ghoul, but I had to know this story of O to get it. And I was like, hmm, interesting to see that here. But it shames me. It shames me that you know nothing of it. Yeah, n- never. I, I vaguely remember hearing it before, but that's kind of uh, I might be confusing it with something else. I was. uh Look, I was just glad they didn't throw anything in here like, you know, 160 days of Sodom. Well, that I've seen. So, I mean, I would have been all right with that, right? That's uh, I'd have been like, oh, okay, yeah. I get it. I get it. But not the same feel, right? Um, the story of O they mentioned in here is something I, I imagine to look up would have flavor to it. But my guess it would be master-servant relationships. Not from a vampire perspective, but elements of what that might be like. And uh, more probably an in-depth, uh, seedy level. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey, possibly. Hmm? Precursor? Don't know. Don't know. Maybe. Um, but I like to give those inspirations nonetheless. This rolls right into, though, and talking about the fact that what, what, what ghouls are and ghouls aren't. Now, to rehash real quick for you, because you did it last time, I'll do it here. Um, and we'll see if I remember right. First off, any mortal can drink a vampire's blood. It's highly addictive. It's something they crave, but it does not make them a ghoul. Am I correct? Uh, you are. You are correct on that. Uh, just simply drinking the blood once does not does not create a ghoul. And in fact, you're not even officially a thrall till you drink it three times. And then that veniculum is established. And that's and that's right. when it is. But you're still not anything to the vampire other than a groupie. Right. Mm-hmm. You're you're a vampire suck along. We have you along to, to take a nibble now and again. Who knows? Maybe I'm a vampire just like sharing my wounds on people. I don't really know what it is, but you <laughs> you like to lick up my leavings. Right. That's how it is. Cool to have you around. However, for that special someone, I got to make a bond. It's an act of will that I have to do where I inflict my curse upon you. Or, as vampires see it, I gift you with some of my power because I find use in you. Now, I find this all to be a clever lie, no matter who it is. If you like someone, you don't make them a ghoul. Right. It, you, you don't at all because 
the nature of the bond, right, of the viniculum or vinculum. I don't know how it's pronounced. I never pronounced it the way it's spelled. But anyway, <laughs> it it um it, it creates a false and twisted like uh well they describe it as love, right? But it's really like obsession, right? Like um that you uh, regardless of what specific like bent that takes it's something that's artificial and inherently one-sided like being in a bad obsessive relationship i guess <laughs> well I i'd even argue no right because there's a well not arguing no against what you're saying i'm saying to dig that deeper i like the details mm -hmm. they give i like that remember the nuance is what this is all about and it does describe the bond the vinicum in particular which we'll get in depth as to why but it's 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 part addiction physically they have no control over yes. it and that's something a lot of people never understood Right. He would say, oh, he's addictive. But if you understood addiction, then you wouldn't question why a ghoul needs upkeep. Right. Addiction is one of the core themes of Requiem, which it just hammers home in in this. Well, in Requiem. Right. And it does. It does cut a difference between the vinculum and a blood addiction. Right. Vitae is inherently addictive. A ghoul will seek that out and can assuage that uh, that urge, regardless of whether the Vitae actually comes from their sire or not. And this is where people sire. get it confused, where people get it confused in mm -hmm. Masquerade. Believe me, Masquerade never said that, just said there was an addiction. What do you think an addiction is? The assumption was that we knew the definition, that those who mm -hmm. played got it. All they had to put down was an addiction. You knew to look it up. You knew what that was. But the assumption was you could be addicted to a lot of things. There are people saying I'm addicted to Mountain Dew, but they could live without a freaking Mountain Dew, right? right? They can. They don't need it. They can walk away from it. We're talking heroin. We're talking crack to the nth degree. We're talking a need that is a physical pain when you don't get it. Exactly. Right? And, and that is also, there's something else to that bit too. Keep that in mind. I want to roll it in. There's a physical and an emotional tie, but they'll get to that because that ties into what you were kind of kind of getting to, uh, which is, is it better than love? Uh, well, that's my, I ruined it. I'll just get to it then. Uh, so <laughs> I ruined it right there. It was like, is it, is it love? So I hear that a lot. That there's a blood bond uh, that, you know, vaniculum, i.e. the blood bond, is that is just the same as unto love. And I, I always chuckle when people are like, no. And I'm like, you don't understand. When you're alive and you have that blood bond, it is love. You can feel love. You can reciprocate love. You are capable of empathy, capable of pain. The depth of it, the loss of it, the longing. You are free to feel all this. For the undead, it is but a memory. So therefore, it's one-sided and therefore it's hollow. And that lies the tragedy of it. So could you take a ghoul and decide that you're you're a vampire now? You decide to ghoul your your wife or your lover or whoever, and it's because you want to keep them with you forever. Welcome to a saddened existence where you're going to watch them will. They're not going to be that partner you had that you sought to save from the ravages of time or save them from that disease that they had or whatever. What it is is they're going to become solely devoted to what's in your veins. That is it, and they're going to assume that you love them again every time you give blood unto them, right? They sip a little. Oh, you must really love me because look at, mm, mm, baby, I know you love me. I could take, oh, oh, maybe yeah, we should right. cut out feeding on hobos because it's a little bit grainy, but it's take, mm, oh, who am I not? Just keep giving it to me, right? Oh, yeah, of course I love you. How twisted is that? Now to the vampire, how tacky. Right. To, to, uh, but uh, I just, to, to kind of like take that example further, I'm just thinking like, what's the next step? Right. You have that ghoul because that's a, a, a relic of your old life, like a, a, men, a memento mori, I guess you'd call it. But <laughs> but um, 
Uh, at some point, you're going to need another ghoul for something else, because this, your your old, your wife, former girlfriend, they weren't embraced for a reason other than as like a companion. But the moment you need something that they can't do and you take in another ghoul, imagine the 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 drama, the conflict that enrages from that, because now what that old flame thought was special between you two is now shared with someone completely different. And of course, they'll be like, oh, no, baby, I still love you. All that stuff. But how hollow does that ring? Well, to the ghoul, it doesn't. That's the terrible part about being a regnant. If right. you t- if you tell that ghoul, oh, of course, baby, I still love you. It doesn't matter how shallow it seems to everyone else. To you, it's magic. You can do no wrong as a regnant in the ghoul's eyes. Every every shadow of a doubt is given shadow of a doubt. Benefit of the doubt. That's the phrase. <laughs> Benefit of the doubt is given to the regnant. Never. I, and that's so. Uh, I can. I just. I love the idea of playing the vampire that was in that situation, sees that playing out slowly over time with the person to realize like what they've done. Maybe it's because I love tragedies and I think that's like the greatest horror, but that's just like gut wrenching to envision and something. uh, And it's, it's one of the things I love about the personal horror aspect of Requiem that they just dial down into it. Like you were talking about before they, they, Whereas in previous publications, they made assumptions, right, that you knew what addiction was in this one. They they lay it all out for you. Right. They don't they assume there are no assumptions. And they have to. Mm-hmm. Right. So why do they have to is because, remember, Requiem is the definition, the explanation everybody was looking for. I thought it came to me in the shower today as I knew we were doing this. And I said to myself, I keep trying to define it, but I keep smearing Masquerade to Requiem. It's not a smear I'm looking for. It's I keep trying to people understand that the juggernaut that Masquerade is was the flagship for Requiem's beauty, right? Uh, Masquerade is like the concrete building that the hanging gardens of Requiem are in, right? That's what it's like. But one needs the other is the point we're looking at. And you have to understand them intimately to truly get the depth that they put into this. And you see that when you think about the concept of this opening story of Ghoul, right? If you think back to Masquerade Ghoul's Fatal Addiction, you had a story where it was like a doctor going over the ins and outs of the physiology and psychology of Ghoul. It was a dry read because they did it through a narrative of a character that exists in canon, which was fun, but it really didn't hammer home. For, it didn't titillate the imagination of everybody who would want to be at home and relate to their home game and kind of make their own goals for their own character. Mm-hmm. See the difference. Um, now, I know the editor's Justin Achilles, so really almost Requiem can do no wrong in terms of how they went with it. But I really feel it when it comes to the opening story here. It talks about a character who is head over heels in love with his regnant. It talks about how he's watching her, you know, she's nude and she's asleep. And even when she wakes up, he's he's staring at her longingly and needs her. There's an ache he feels. He watches her slide her fingers across her pubic bone and he's staring. And she knows. And she's like, is this what you want? And chuckles and, and walks off. And he can do nothing about it because he knew he failed her. She said as much. Yep. You didn't complete your list. So now these games she begins playing, they're subtle games. And he's remembering a life that he had with her how it was in the beginning, how he loved her and she loved him and was convinced of it and everything went well. And then it starts almost getting lewd in the erotic description of what he's not getting anymore as she, you know, basically sees another suitor. Cause it's like 4 a.m. where it starts. And there's another guy that shows up out of nowhere and he stares at this guy and he goes to the stages of murderous intent that are on the inside of him unseeing this guy. They don't describe it, but I fucking know that's what the author meant. It's he stared longingly at this guy before he caught the fact that he was staring at him. It's every bit what I feel Renfield did initially 
If you think back to Bram Stoker, everybody that came to the castle or came to check up on the master, his first thought was to kill this person. It must have been because you're impeding me and my relationship with Dracula. And that's what goes on. Except there's a level of insanity there. Um, Renfield was a good guy, right? He had morals to battle with and everything else, but he had this dark gift inside him that was, that was serving a purpose and he had to do something. But at the same time, he had to impress his master, which meant what he would do was second until he got orders to do it. So to this guy, she told him to open the door and he did so. He saw who it was and knew what was going on with this guy. This guy was coming in to have sex with this girl. And that's, that's his master. Yeah. And he loves her heads over. What do, what do you do? His hands are tied. And basically, she chuckles, tells him to come in. That's the command. And he steps aside. And as this guy walked past, she grabs his junk and moves on, makes this overt display as, you know, he goes to the back room, whatever. And she's like, oh, don't come back tonight. I'm busy. I have plans. And he leaves and his heart's crushed and he's upset. But what can he do? Now, to anyone thinking, it's like, man, that would the hell. Right. Nobody likes that position. However, I want you to remember everybody's been in that position at some time in their life. Everyone has had that woman or that guy that they've just pined over, that they just wanted, that was keeping it as just friends. And you had relations off and on. And it might have been something maybe, but they never committed. They never dove in. They never got to it. And they left you feeling like that guy. Like, here I am on the side, forgotten nothing to this person. But you eventually sucked it up, found yourself respect and cut it loose. And in fact, it's a lesson we learn probably only once. We only need to learn it once. And that's that. This book is insidious to point out the fact vampires specifically target people just like that. Yes, they cannot. There is a um, like like you were saying, they target people who are who don't have that, who are exploitable, who are manipulative in order to manipulate them to do what they want. And this situation that you you described in this story, right, this, it started out with the ghoul failing, right? But not every regnant is going to punish them because they failed. Maybe they'll pretend that there's a failure, right? Blow something out, but sometimes they will just do it. And that's all part of the game of control that they have because there is no happy ending in this. I feel like this story just highlights that even more. There's just vampires gaining power or influence in some way and then just tragedy and despair everywhere else to varying degrees, but still. I mean, it does, it, they describe the life as a ghoul, too, to, to shed light on this. is uh, A ghoul is a human, as uh, a human being that drinks inhumanity alive and yet remains ageless, free from vampiric hunger, and then still a slave to a, vampire, a vampire's whims. It's a quote from the book that I, it deserves to be said. And why? It says, because they're, they're a living creature that's drinking inhumanity. Now, I don't know what that means to you guys when you hear it. To me, it, it directly describes, yes, you're getting cold, hard power. That's what's going into, and you know it. And it's making to where you are almost free, to where you almost have this power. Sure, you exist in daylight, but your foot's forever in the world of shadows, tethered to the island that is this master. And without this master, you are nothing. There is no love but for this master. There is no life except for the life you're permitted to have orbiting around this entity. Doesn't matter how cool you were. Doesn't matter if you're Dwayne The Rock Johnson or any other celebrity who has everything for him going great and everything's amazing. It doesn't matter the moment you become a ghoul to a regnant. Your life is now that regnant, period. Let's stop the jokes and I'm going to be a hunter ghoul and I'm going to run around. I'm going to do all this. Yeah, yeah. Incredible circumstances have to happen for those things to occur and to be so rare. And because of that, you have to understand what that is. Now, I didn't say it wasn't possible to be a hunter ghoul, but I'm saying that's a common trope, right? That I'll play a ghoul if I can go hunt for You're going to understand what this is. Now, if you're something that is alive, we're going to use Brennan as an example, and Brennan, 
we'll get a little personal. You just we'll fade to black of some stuff you don't want to answer if that's okay with you. Okay. All right. Bring it on. And we'll throw it back at me if that's that's fine if you need to. But what would happen if you uh we're not gonna say anyone specific, but let's just uh, get to the fact that one night at a party you meet this woman, whoever it is, and uh you they sort of seduce you. Right? Let's say that happens. First night you're there, it's great. They use sex as a medium, uh, but before you go to sleep, they decide that they're going to uh, do something kinky if you were up for it. I'm a sucker for a honeypot, Bob. I'm not going to lie. Right. So then what happens is that they end up uh, somehow offering you a drink of their blood. Be the hottest thing ever. They promise you'll be closer to, closer to them than anyone ever was. Yeah. Like right now, sitting in this table thinking about it, my I feel like my answer would be no. But I know like when you're it's one thing to talk about a situation outside of it and to be in the moment. Uh, probably. I probably would. Never done it before. Probably try something new. What I'm doing is I appreciate your honesty. That's absolutely a rational decision choice, right? So even if you said, no way, man, things you could get from drinking someone's blood, that's steep, right? But you're adding to the point, I'm not in the moment. I don't know who would be so seductive or what orgasm is so great to make me want to drink someone's blood. I don't think it's possible. That's rational, right? But this assumes that you're not a healthy person. Remember who we're targeting. We're targeting someone who is is a person susceptible to an alternate way of living brought about from a cult of personality. Someone that would be great in a cult, right? Someone targeted for that purpose. They never pick someone who is whole. It's always someone unhealthy. And, and that's that's the goal here. So not saying that's unhealthy to do those sorts of things. Salt to taste your own life. I'm passing no judgment or king shaming. I'm simply no, saying I'm simply saying for this purpose, you happen to. How might your life change as you know this book set? How might my life change? It would becoming a ghoul is a thing that changes it like completely like ghouls still have a life going on during the day because they have to. But at that point, I, I, my, I would no longer have a focus on like my career, right? Or like on my family because I now have an addiction that consumes me when I can't even fight not successfully anyway, every waking moment would be thinking about this, this regnant that I now have, or this, this woman that I met, right? I don't know what it is yet. It's how can I help them? What do they need? How can I see them again? Or, or, and when it gets down to it, how can I get more of that good stuff? And and the reason that is should be explained too. And we'll, and we'll get to that, but we'll start with the bond of the goal, right? The bond Brennan's describing, he would feel it's an all consuming erotic bond, transcending the normal concepts of love or sexuality. What that means is it's it's great. Everybody wants sex. That's fine. But I once too like to masturbate furiously. Right. Two types of quitters in the world. Those who said they don't. And those who said they never or those who said they quit. Right. Uh-huh. So that's or those who never did. And those who said they quit either way. Everyone, whatever. We leave it to the side. We're adults, especially during Rona. Naughty people. But the point is, <laughs> the point is the natural evolution of that. And what people would enjoy would be, of course, sex. And yes, it's great. But everybody, no doubt, has had emotionless sex. Fun night of drinky, you wake up and there's jokes about coyote arm that work for either either sex, right? Never heard of coyote arm? I've never heard of coyote arm. Coyote arm is when you wake up, look at your partner and realize what a mistake you made drunk and decide to chew off your arm and crawl out of the window and run home, <laughs> right? Abandoning your clothes, right? It's coyote arm. That's the bird. That's what it is. You know, it's a colorful way. I heard it when I was a kid. I loved it. Uh, it cracked me up. It also taught me, be careful who you start drinking with, you know, uh, kind of know your boundaries of whatnot. It's lessons you pick up, but that's that's one of them. 
but everyone's been there regardless or been in a relationship that was great because you were really horny and the person was like, yeah, why not? But they might have won a relationship you didn't. Most times you back out as friends. It's okay. You know, consensual things are consensual things. Or you've been in a relationship where you thought you might have been in love until you got the lust out of the way and then realize, ah, you know, that happens too. This is not what this is referring to. And I could see where that mistake was made for a lot of people, where they where they like to say that, oh, this isn't this is misunderstanding love. It's not really love. Remember what I said at the beginning here. The fact is, it's one sided love to the ghoul. It's love immediate. Right. Your whole focus gets reset and it is love. It's an all consuming thing. And the erotic bond transcending normal concepts of love uh, or sexuality means it doesn't matter if it's a guy that you're regnant or a female that you're regnant or whatever they're into. You are bonding yourself to them because the bond demands it. You are trying to become their every need is, is another way of putting it. And to do that, you what wouldn't you do to become what they need to get their uh, their desires met? And you feel that you have to because drinking their blood fulfills you. That's your drug to keep getting it. You'll do anything. Now, to that said, in that one way devotion, how would you feel about that? Like, let's say you're under this hypnosis, this this pull, this addiction. This woman just, you know, she said she was your everything and it lasted for as long as it took to get you hooked. And then she just stops calling every day. That is um, that is a, a a hell that is like hardly imaginable to have like your focus in life just like drop from the wayside and there's nothing you can do because how could you find her again? Right, they're, they're vampires; they survive by not being found. But let's say she like, did something like she left you that for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, as they say, how the blood works, they don't give an actual time span other than thirty days is, is without blood, you stop being a ghoul. But we're talking about that euphoria. When you drink her blood, you're on cloud nine. You're razzmatazz. You're good to go. You're just the perfect drug running around, bouncy, happy. Everything's legit and great. You can't stop thinking about them. But at some point, it wears off, right? And just becomes a dull ache initially in your stomach. But each day after or each hour or however it works, it becomes more painful until you can't ignore it up to that 30-day limit, right? So I like to assume about two-week mark. Let's break it in half. Let's say after about a week, it stops being fun and fun in the sun. And ends up being just normal, which is a great high. A high that lasts a week is awesome, right? But during that week, how much sleep do you think you get? Uh, when you're starting to go through withdrawals, uh, I'm not, I don't know about you. I'm probably not sleeping. Oh, I mean, pre-withdrawal. I mean, during that first week, right? You just got the blood. You're on cloud nine. You think you sleep pretty good? I, I can see, I can see like sleeping like a straight up baby and then being like so like full of energy to get things done. I can see it going either way, at least for me, Bob. I don't know about you. I enjoy my sleep. I get I get a lot of fulfillment from a good night's sleep. The thing about being in love when you're really in love, sleep, sleep is hard. It's very hard because you think about that person a lot and you're trying to be cool about it and trying to downplay it and get it going. And you work out and you distract yourself. That's for normal folks, right? Your thoughts are invaded by constantly wanting to be near this person and be with them and, you know, be about them. That's normal people. That's normal folks. Now, um, there's healthy boundaries and whatnot you have and you manage. But let's say you're a ghoul and you can't. And you're hyper obsessive and you're there. I don't see sleep being a thing that is going to easily come to you at all. It's not going to come to you on the sauce. And then I definitely don't think it's going to come to you with the withdrawal because part of that withdrawal is that creeping suspicion. They don't need you anymore. They're abandoning you. They're leaving you. Oh, my God. Everyone has been that that puppy dog in love with someone. You know, you know what this is. But to that nth degree, how sad would it be to think about it? Easily think about Bram Stoker's Dracula when Renfield realized the master had abandoned him. Renfield was just a tool. He wasn't going to be made a vampire. You know he knew that. 
at a certain point, which is why he betrayed him. And that's uh, that's there, right? Saw Mina and whatnot. But the point is, for that addiction, push me, pull me. That's a hell unto itself. Like, like who would do that? But that's what a physical addiction is. It is a mindless addiction to it. It robs you of sleep. It gives you a falsified sense of uh, invincibility at a point. And that's the initial burst. Then it gets to an actual physical pain as your body starts to accelerate again, matching up to a jade cycle time. Now, it's not instant, meaning um, or it's, it doesn't start instantly. But when you don't, you're no longer a ghoul. That will happen. Now, the important part here is what would a vampire do strategically? If I just made a ghoul like Brennan and I made him for a reason, I'm this chick, we could say that uh, after the two weeks, right around the point where she's noticed some of her other ghouls might be in pain, uh, she gives Brentron a list. It's some things he could do to knock off, gives him five things. One is to turn over his bank account to her because she needs to be taken care of and she needs to know what happened. She'll, of course, render all the bills paid. He'll do all right. But she doesn't think he needs the amount of money he has because she needs a new wardrobe. She's going to go out and she has suitors to take care of. And she is a, he doesn't want her to be lonely, right? Naturally. And she'll assume that. She'll even put that in the email he sends to her. But that's part of the list. Another one is um, there will be there's a guy in the garage that needs to be buried. I, I guess I'm getting like a, one of those. What is it? The 10 gallon steel drum and a shovel. Right. Because what choice do you have? Now, I say that as Brentron, right? Like you're there and you're going to see this. That's some pretty impossible shit to ask you. Yeah. To ask me, uh, to ask that of me, like right now as I'm sitting in this chair, like, no, not at all. Because I am a rational person that understands like someone was just murdered. This is not good. But Vite addicted Brentron. Uh, do you have a do I need to go buy one of these big like containers to put them in? Because I can't just bury them. Right. Critters will find them like blood dogs will get there. I got to like contain them and then I got to bury them deep. I like how you're going through that, right? That's what everybody would do. That's a rational person trying to figure out a way around. You you don't get a chance to say no is the point. You have right. to appease that list as best as you can, but at the same time, you're going to be fighting your own morals. You're battling yourself, your normal life, over what you're becoming. Right. Don't misunderstand me going through that, like, you know, steel drum shovel stuff. Like, it, it, for every ghoul, they're still going to do it, and they're going to hate themselves for doing it. They're going to try to reconcile, like, this is a shitty thing i am doing like i can't look myself in the, in the mirror anymore but at least i can look at her exactly exactly well said well said and and that's the part they talk about transcending right that that bond would go well beyond it because let's say she's not she's not giving it up to brenchard anymore they're not knocking boots it's great that was a one-time deal to get him hooked all right brenchard's gonna have to find another way to fill that hole that need and it's gonna get it's gonna get weird Right. And they, they talk about this emotional transformation because he has to adjust his desires is what it is, because whatever he was once doing and, we, and that will fade to black is going to get enhanced or altered because you're no longer getting that fulfillment. And they talk about the reason why and they say that vampire blood introduced into a human body uh, creates a chemical change and the body has to adapt to its invasion. It's that simple. And uh, what they're talking about is that's where the addiction kicks in. It's something that drastically affects their system. And uh, the chemistry of the body uh, it automatically creates craving in the absence, right? That's that's what you're dealing with. And once that happens, there's behaviors to get that blood. That's that's what the addiction does. It pushes you to get what you need, regardless of what it is. You know. So when you think of that, um, you can even do research further. Look up drug addiction. Yeah, it's uh, scarily like uh, well similar, and that is that is intentional, right? To harken back to something. We talked about at the beginning, addiction 
in many different forms is one of the themes of this game. Vite inherently like personifies that. And that's it, right? So that addiction becomes a point of uh, control uh, for the Regnant and a point of madness for the ghoul because it's making you, the ghoul, do things you never would have done, you know, against your will and you have to swallow the morality of it. You don't got a choice. And that's it's terrible, but it happens and it needs to happen. There's another thing, the psychological impact, right? That's just the physical. That's what a vampire knows is going on, but maybe not all vampires understand the psychological aspect, right? But the Vinicum is a damning thing as well. That just being in the orbit of, a, of your regnant keeps you in love with them, right? You adapt to that cycle because now they're special because they just want you around. They value you being seen or being in the room or whatever it is that you're making up in your head. And that's the danger here. You're someone who hasn't been asleep, not sleeping so good, sleep depths and mofo. And you could start imagining all sorts of crazy stuff when you're not sought after for your opinion. You know, when you're assuming and believing you're more important than you are. And regardless of what this person is doing. And that's why most vampires push the ghoul away. Mm-hmm. Keep them elsewhere and let them know and then bring them back only when it's time for that special sauce to be imparted. Now, the taboo of drinking blood is what we were getting to earlier, where it was like, how does one get over that? Like, where does that come from? Remember what was said. There's a certain deviancy that you have to already have in you to even want to do that. Right. Just a strange thing. It's not something that's common. There is stranger. Right. There are all sorts of weird things folks can find on the Internet that folks join are into. I don't I actually think drinking blood's the least of them as to what you can find online these days. Just I'd agree. I'm just saying. But for the purposes of actually the taboo of drinking blood, they're referring to the fact that out of the blue, someone's it's not even done in a sexual capacity. Right. It's the fact that you want and you're actively thinking of your next hit and where it's coming from. You'll take it in a cup. You'll take it in a solo cup. You'll take it. Uh directly from the mouth, from other things uh, that are that are on that person. They, they may humiliate you. You don't know and you don't care. Any way you can get it. Now, that taboo is something in the back of your head you know is wrong. This shouldn't happen. I shouldn't feel this way. But much like anyone who drinks that vampire's blood, you're not going to care. That addictive quality is peaked. That bond is titillated and strengthened the more you do. That's the danger of it. Plus, don't forget the rush of the actual kindred vitae is a very real thing. Now, daylight hours. You got to think about the ghoul's life now on the sauce. And if you've been there for a little bit of time or a longer bit of time, Brennan mentioned three weeks out. It's a physical pain. You're sitting at work you're trying to focus, you're trying to type. And Marsha has, uh, has cut her hand, right? Now, in the back of your head, you don't know, haven't tried yet. Is it different for you now? Are you someone, may, maybe, maybe her blood? Maybe. Uh, first time it's happening, three weeks out. I need my fix now. You... Someone who has like a, a a legit addiction that they have to and a severe one that the Vitae is, they will go to extremes for this. We've been talking about this entire time. Yeah, there, there's probably like, a, oh, hey, Marshall, you cut yourself. Let me get you bandaged. Let me wipe this up. Right. And like I take the handkerchief or whatever if I'm trying to be sly about it. I don't think. Vitae addicted Brenchon would be so like crazy, just like jumper then and there, right? Like I'm a football player, but um, but but you might follow her home. You definitely might have that urging and that thought process because remember your emotional control. It's a Ooh. it's a very dangerous combo. Sleep deprived, Ooh. urges are there, all time high. You got like twelve hours till dusk or whatever. You're you're looking at her. No one's gonna know she's missing. You you for whatever reason have the ability to follow home and it's perfectly normal. You work here. 
the goal is just not to get caught. And you're thinking of those details. And after all, you already buried one person in a, in a garage already. Right. Hey, I, I might have just found some food for, uh, you know, my regnant. If I know she feeds on people like that at that point. Exactly. And that's and that's the danger of it. Right. And they're talking about that. Like, every every ghoul experience that at some point that if you're not getting the blood and you need it so bad and physically you want it, it's almost soothing to drink other blood. It doesn't fill you. It doesn't give you the effect. But nonetheless, that's the they call it fall vampirism, where you start almost emulating what your master could do or you've seen. And it goes further than that. I thought about what it might be like to serve as a, as a venture goal, right? A certain capacity that goes with that. Not about the commanding others and whatnot, but the terms of drinking refined blood or the way that they hold themselves and the, and the way they talk to other people that you might gain self-confidence from, from emulating how they are. After Absolutely. all, you serve a great person. Your regnant's amazing and a master, so that naturally elevates you amongst mortals, doesn't it? Of course it does. On, on that note, I'd also you you touched on a thing that I, I want to talk about, and it's that it's not the the vitae that is imbibed will also will also mold that ghoul in in different ways, right? Like you were talking about with the the Ventru ghoul, they will become more dignified and self confident. Maybe it's psychological because, like you said, they are serving someone who is who is important, who is like regal. But how much of that is actually the vitae doing its work, doing like um uh slightly molding that ghoul to be more like that clan because the book will also go into you know deva who are deva ghouls will be more prone to excess more willing to do whatever they need to do for their sires even animal ghouls of like gangrel will become will lose some of their more like um base uh animal instincts and just become more bloodthirsty themselves well, what they're talking about in that is the discipline. The power in the blood does change. Like what you learn from your master is what is really changing, right? That's what that's what they're referring to. You happen to be Deva, a uh, Deva's uh, ghoul doesn't necessarily mean you're becoming like that Deva because the blood alone gives that. At least that's how I read that. However, the majesty they have in common, if that somehow is imparted onto you, then yeah, then yeah, absolutely, because it's not like you have control of it initially. If you ever do. That's the insidious part about the blood as well. The assumption is that beyond the physical disciplines, and even they, uh, that we know what we're doing with it. The simple answer is you don't. It's They're used almost reflexively. Mm-hmm. It does talk. You're absolutely right with that. Most of them, I think most uses of something like, you know, obfuscate wouldn't even be something most people know about until like well after using it. Right. Because how would you know if you're trying to be unseen? You just think, oh, I guess I'm good at this. But I will say I did have a I did have a different read of that i didn't think it was the discipline specifically that did that but maybe that's more like uh my my favored uh interpretation of just how corrupting the vitae can be that it begins changing you even if just a little bit while you're still alive well the the change that they get i love that they make it uniquely separate um but that's me i, I like how it seems salient that way why separate is because it paves the way for the imagination to make a goal of various colors of the rainbow that, that, that'll fit in at that point, that just because you serve a Deva doesn't make you a Deva clump, is, is what I like. I see what you're saying. Yes, yes, yes. Right, because you might be a, let's, let's put that Venture Ghoul up there. You might be a Venture Ghoul who's rebellious. You really can't stand serving this asshole, but you don't have a choice now. And yeah, he's your world, and that's great, and there's a bond there, but at the same time, every time you go out for this guy, it's always like something about his laundry, and you get like, what if you're a ghoul who's on the up and up? Like, you can't miss. Every time you're given a task to do, you're just nailing it. You're not being treated bad by your regnant, and you're getting blood on the regular. 
does that person emulate his, his Regnant or is that Regnant in trouble because that ghoul doesn't have trouble doing what he's doing? I cannot imagine a good Ventru ghoul that does not have ambition. It absolutely has to, right? It has to have higher aims for what they're doing. Otherwise, it's not it's not living up to the blood that's now in their stomachs, veins. <laughs> but what if frustratingly, that Ventru ghoul isn't cut off the old block? What if they're lazy? And you learn the reason why they get it done is because they have a lot of friends. Right. Uh, does that is does that mean that they're bad, though, if they can get it done? Right. And they're and they're able to get it done by having other people do it for them. Does that not actually mean that they're princes in their own right to some degree? So it's a bit of a stretch, but OK. Um, what, I, what I would point out to that is, is that um, is you, you want to say it's the venture blood in them. I want to say it's the uniquely to the person. Right. The blood may help them, but, you know, who cares what crotchety ass venture regnant? Is sitting back there. He gave you a task today. You did it. You turn around and go pay me. What? I did the deed. You owe me. Where is it at? And it's like going, ah, what about you? Man, you know, I like you. Stop being a dick about it. You know, like, why can't you be that way? Like love is expressed in all sorts of ways. The communication is communication. But do I have to walk around and bow and scrape? Yes. Not at all. But I could do it my way. Well, yeah, not actually bow and scrape. Right. You do it like you said. You know, be one of those people who go, hey, man. I saw you sleeping tonight, and that girl is all right. But uh, you know she stopped breathing? <laughs> yes, I know she stopped breathing, Robert. Why do you mention? Well, because I'm going to get her out of here later. She doesn't seem to be in a hurry. I figure I'll get her out of here, like, just before dawn. I'm going to go to a party tonight. You know, you want me to go out there and get your laundry anyway? It's in the same area. I'll be in the Soho area in New York. I'll pick up your laundry, do that. I'm going to attend that party, and then I'll be back driving you and picking you up. You want me to Uber your ass here, then Uber your ass there, and that'd be fine? You will take me to Elysium and wait, Robert. That body was supposed to be dealt with. Yeah, it's getting dealt with. Like I said, I love you. Bob's your boy. But timing's the question. Like, I'm going to go enjoy this TV show. Turns out Game of Thrones wasn't done or it's pirated. I haven't decided yet. I'm going to go check that out for a bit. All my chores are done. All your shit's done. You need anything? Your blood's waiting. His name's uh, Toby. And when you're done with him, please don't kill him. He's got a hell of a CD collection. I'd like to use it. And then we're going to go maybe take a movie later on. Right. That's still serving your regnant, but I'm playing a gambling game, aren't I? Uh, absolutely. Right. Like to a degree, you're just seeing how far you can push it before you get slapped. I've played the game, certainly with, you know, other people in life, mainly my mom. I did get slapped a couple of times for pushing a little too far. But, you know, that's that's the danger of the game. I would just say if you're a ghoul doing this, like ghouls actually exist. But, you know, for the sake of the argument, if you're doing this, you're you, the 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 wages of this uh, wager are a little bit higher, right? I, <laughs> you can only push a vampire so long, so far. You're absolutely right. And there's there's a reason for this, right? Every ghoul experiences this level of, of emotional issue. And it's because vampires can feed on ghouls. You're not immune. You can have like eight ghouls and feed from all eight of them and only all eight of them. And then when you're done with them, kill them and move on. And they all know you do it. That's great. If you got the will to do it and you're able to, fine, great. Orthrol's your call. But the point is, they know that. What might that do their their psyche? It'd be like, as I see it, I love great white sharks. They terrify me. I don't ever want to be in the water where one is there. But let's assume I had my own private island. And around this private island is a massive great white shark. But it's my buddy. We go swimming together. He hunts whales. I try to hunt big tuna. You know, I, I, try, I try to eat in the water with him, chilling out, doing my thing. He swims back and forth, pushes a boat. I actually get the jet ski. Sort of, right? He just bites the end of a ship and pulls it, and I'm riding the back as long as I can. Woohoo, we have fun. He's my buddy. Uh, until I piss him off. 
right? Until that, until that moment. And as comical as I'm being there with that horrible analogy, the fact is that Great White at any given moment can turn around and kill me. Let no, there's no illusion as to who's in control or who's in power there. And that's what a ghoul thinks every time. Every, can you imagine waking up every night wondering if this person you love, who does hold you at bay, did it because now that they asked you to come and attend them this evening, it's because it's your final evening. It's loose ends. And you've had all day to wonder how they're going to kill you, but you find it impossible to leave because they asked for you. And what if they don't want to kill you? But what if they right. do? There, there's, like we said earlier, the, the ghoul will always give them the benefit of the doubt. That idea will, that doesn't mean that idea doesn't cross their mind. It's like, are they going to kill me? Nah. Nah, she wouldn't do that to me. She wouldn't do that to me, right? <laughs> I, I like this quote they have in there with it. It says when being fed upon uh, for a ghoul, it's an erotic, frightening sensation of having one's blood siphon off to strengthen the regnant, combined with the dread of being exsanguinated as a possible outcome or the tease of the embrace. These things toy with the, with the frail human mind. And that's a constant. That pressure, that stress is going to make you add in all so- or act in all sorts of weird ways. But there are dangers. To go over it, we mentioned ghouls can get diseases, you know, briefly. Like we said it as a joke, they absolutely can't. And vampires can be carriers of diseases, depending on how their, their feeding groups are cared for. Um, hepatitis C and uh, HIV or two that they mention in here, I'm assuming there'd be a slew of others, depending on a stabby story to looking at blood-borne diseases transferable right. with bites. And you can get into it if you want to, but the point of it's simple. You're expected to care for your group. As much as we're giving crap about regnants and how shitty it would be to be a ghoul, which this book highlights, that only. Yeah. That to be a ghoul sucks. But if you like that role play, it's here. I challenge it too. I think it'd do everybody good to play a ghoul one to understand what I it is. I also think it would be a lot of fun to play these frailties to understand what it would be to be in service of or what might go through your head when certain things happen. Mundane to someone else, but overly you know terrible for you. For instance, what if you got a cold and you're on Elysium and the prince looks over and sees that you came with four other people? All of you belong to one regnant, but you have a cold. You're looking a little pale, Bob. It's COVID season. Excuse me, Brennan. Does your thrall Bob have COVID? Have those others been uh, tested? No, he does not. He doesn't have a temperature. Took it before we came in. Am I blind? Is that not a cold symptom? Is, could that be the flu? Uh, it's it's spring. It's allergies. He just has a sinus infection. Of course. Right? What's that do for your regnant, son of a bitch, Bob? Did you take your antihistamines? Yeah, right. Why don't you tell me your stomach hurt? I, I did. <laughs> My stomach's been hurting all month. I, if I could just have a sip, just one sip, my stomach will stop hurting. Cold will go away. You disappoint me. Yeah. yeah. I would have given you some Vitae, Bob, if it hadn't been for the fact that the sheriff's deputies then broke my legs outside of Elysium when we left. So thanks for embarrassing me. You got to punish me, right? Because I, I wasn't perfect and it wasn't even my fault. That stuff is, uh, well, unfortunately common. It paints that picture here very vividly uh, as to what can happen. Now, that's not all that's in this book, right? Goes over diseases, what can happen, health impacts, all that fun stuff. Even goes over sex, and I'll kind of leave that where it is, if only because it's yeah. a little weird. Um, actually, it's not weird at all. I just feel squiggy about it because it's not for everyone. It's the fact that deviancy, I, I guess we could talk about that, that deviancy is commonplace because when you don't get the sex with the person you love, we talked about it. You replace it with another behavior. Mm-hmm. To seek and that it, it always pales in comparison. And because it pales, you will go to more and more extremes to get that same feeling that, well, guess what? You can never get again until you drink from someone. Like it talked about the ghoul in the beginning, which we can say it's in the story. It was pretty cool. 
uh, to yeah. read in extreme about the guy trying to find a girl from work to go you know, to sleep with. And he gets her home and everything's going great, except he's with this little ghoul help group, the, the day group meeting or whatever. And uh, they're like, OK, and what happened? He says, yeah, I had to bring out a knife and told her to cut me so I can get off. It was weird. Um, that's that's what happened. You know, and it was like he, they just rolled over and like, yep. And he goes, yeah, it's great to be us. Like, yeah. unless he's being injured, apparently cut blood's being drawn. He just can't. Now, why is it being cut? Because she's normally feeding from it. It must be that loss of blood, despite how good it feels that blood loss has to occur as well for him to feel fulfilled. And if he did it with this normal girl, yeah, she's not normal anymore. No, she's no, right. If she went through with it at all, right now, fun stuff. Disciplines are different. We talked about it a little bit. I jotted down some because I think it's funny um, that Requiem has it. It's one of the unique aspects of Requiem that I rather enjoy. And it's not just vampires we'll get into later on, but the ghouls here have it first. And they talk about physical disciplines and their accidental usage. <laughs> I'm I'm tickled about this, right? I'm so I found this so funny. I thought of, of an Uber Eats situation, because that's hysterical to me, that you have a maquette for a regnant and, you know, you were supposed to get food for a party, whatever, because they're saving face and there's an important meeting. Whatever the situation is, um, this driver's late, but you're tracking it and he could see he's just four blocks down. And you're like, well, fuck it, I could run there and get back. And you take off the haul ass to get him because that's what the blood does. Crazy things to meet demand. And you realize you're outpacing cars. You know how it happens. But what if you impact the Uber driver? Right, he's in the vehicle, you're trying to catch up to him, and you like spider on the window, hit that sun, just boom, right in the front. I don't know why I'm tickled by that comical idea. Like, it'd be really bad. It'd be like broken bones, like you hit a deer up over the oh. end. Yeah, because you don't, if you got one, you probably don't have resilience. You can, you, uh, you'd be just as screwed up from that impact, right? But, uh, no, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. The ghouls, they don't, it, it highlights that they need to be trained to use their disciplines, right? It's like, um, Oh, man. Uh, imagine like uh, you have a ghoul that's physically active and they start like, I don't know, going to the gym, but then they like blow past their bench record. Like, yeah, they can push it up. Their bones can't take <laughs> the weight that they're pushing now. Right. Situations like that, that you have to be really careful with these new guys. They might not even know. Right. Which is the cool aspect that the blood is going to alter them that way. The regnant might not even know. It's possible to be so new to like, you gotta imagine if you're a kindred and the first time you start ghouling people, no one tells you that your blood is gonna, they're gonna develop in certain ways. And case in point, animalism, right? It brings up a profound thought that if you're a human being, you understand animals are animals and you're humans. But what if suddenly your cat, you can talk to and it's not mysterious anymore? You understand. It's a whole different dynamic. It's, it's It's a massive dynamic, more so. It doesn't see you as a human. It sees you as a cat, right? You feed. It eats when you eat. It sleeps when you sleep. That's why it's always laying on you or sleeping around. You're just a bigger cat. And to it, it makes sense. And then you start developing, you know, we're friends. We're running around. We're doing everything together. But you don't know how to break that connection. And animalism has that thing where the more you understand, the more that bond can grow. And you can have that connection there. And then I think back to what if your regnant's not giving you the attention, but your pet is, right? Think of that, that relationship suddenly. Not being shifted because the regnant is unto God, as far as you're concerned. But the fact is, is that you might be temporarily sated. But how much dog-like would you be if it's a it's a Doberman? Like, it's, it's like a hellhound, right? And you're there and you're both having that mentality. Oh, that's problematic on a level I couldn't even get into. And if your regnant has no idea, you know, that would be terrifying to know that, you know, the next time somebody comes to storm your haven, and all it is is like, you know, the you missed a note that there's going to be a walk through the property. They're trying to assess the value of it because they might sell it. 
you know, just be sure not to be home between the hours of blah, 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 blah. And then mm-hmm. you come to walk through and you wake up that night. There's a tie, bloody bits of cloth and whatever. And, and your ghoul is just standing by the door with longing eyes right along with your dog, panting and thinking they both did well. Mm-hmm. Right. He's would be happy. He's would be happy. We stopped him. Yeah, we stopped him. Yay. And Red is like, what the hell is this? Right. <laughs> oh, well, come on, Rufus. He doesn't understand. I'm sorry. We did bad. And they start dragging it out. You know, it's like, what is going on? Well, you two don't need to spend that much time together, I guess. Um, that's an interesting thought. I also like Auspex. I like Auspex a lot. Oh, that was uh, I didn't even think about that. That's something that never dawned on me until they started talking about this, right? Like, yeah, uh, at, at lower levels, it it heightens your senses, right? But as you get higher, it starts. Well, now you can read minds, right? There's telepathic contact, and that's it highlights the kind of like freeing element ghouls would feel in that you don't have to pretend things anymore, right? There's just like a, a sense of candor because the regnant's going to know anyway, even if you lie, because they can read your mind at this point. But the the dangers of that and that their their inhibitions will be naturally lowered. Right. So to to spend that earlier inspection team visit to uh, uh, to the Auspex side, instead of it just being like a, a guard, uh, a guard dog. Right. It is, well, I guess it is in a different way. Someone's coming into this property. You don't fully know who they is. You got to protect the master. You might just bludgeon them to death with a hammer because you were working like doing some house repair during the day. Right. It's not like it's going to wake them up. So you can go ahead and do this now. But then they wake up later and uh, again, another situation <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry. This is just my natural. This is I was protecting you. I thought this was good. Right. Different different powers cause that different circumstances and dynamics form because of it. But it's another unintended situation caused by it. I uh, I also like the opposite where it's not happy little accidents. I like how obfuscate you're never going to learn it. Must be shy. Yeah, some of these do have to be taught. Not all of them are accidental. Like you might figure out a sleight of hand trick with the first two levels of obfuscate. And that's cute. But the rest of it now nah, we're going to have to spend time. And who's got that time? Right. As they point out. You're only going to be, I need you for a useful reason if I'm teaching you obfuscate. But after that's done, right, what's, who's to say? But they roll into it too. Kruak and Theban Sorcery crack me up in that they say, no human can ever perform it. But then outline, yes, they can. Yeah, they can. No, shut up. They can't learn it. <laughs> Obviously, they can't. Theban Sorcery is a gift from God to us as we are closer to God because we are his damned beast. Mortals can't possibly learn it. Yeah, well, Jeb is able to, like, make a whip out of his blood. I think it's time for Jeb to come to confession. Right, is it? <laughs> Tell Jeb to stop by and bring a coffin exactly his size. Why? No reason. It looked comfortable. Jeb looks comfortable, right? Perfect. And uh, that's that, that's what they got going on. Now, this book is, is a, it's a sizable book to go through many different descriptors to hammer home much of what we talked about here. Um, but the fact right. is, is that it's also trying to capture that imagination again from folks who believe Hey, I read Fatal Addiction or I read other books to explain goals. I get them. I get that. This is not saying you don't get that. And I rather enjoy the fact it felt like a continuation on where you were coming from. So you can come to this with a full mind. Just be prepared to add two, right? It's not a throw out process. It's not even a competition as much as it is to define exactly what they were going for. And that's what I enjoy about this book. No mince words. Here's where it's at. Here's the nice examples and clever wording of it um, to hit those emotional key points that need to be hit. For us, the audience, to digest it well and then thus know how we may look forward or want to apply it to a game room. Um, but 
any thoughts of any material in here that you want to throw in as a, as a last give? Yes, uh, actually two things. Uh, one is pretty quick. Um, Mandragora were introduced in this book. Uh, and those are people who probably heard that name or similar names before. But what this is, is these are ghouled plants right now. You might be thinking, but Brintron, why would I ever want to ghoul a plant? Because they're awesome people. That's why. These the, the process involves not every plant can take it right. But um, once it is ghouled, whatever hardy species you come across, it no longer needs anything but blood. And occasionally it can be sustained off of human blood. Mandragora, I remember reading, but I like cursorily granted because it was like, unless I'm making it an undead salad, I'm not really concerned. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna feed my ghouls with my Mandragora salad. Oh, great! I I can think of a couple of different uh, uses of it. Like now, I'm just thinking. Now I'm like, what if I'm a, a, a Circle of the Crone member? That is, um, I am both feeding this plant my blood, but I'm also feeding it with the blood of humans I take, and then like the roots crawl in. And just start sucking the blood, sustaining themselves out of that. And on this tree now grows like um, a blood tomato or a blood apple that from this I can feed or I can use it in a, a ritual. Right. That's taking it beyond this. But now my mind's going through. You're saying it's the vegan alternative. I got those ghouls that won't drink blood directly from a human or an animal because it's inhumane. But if I make it from a mandragora plant, now they'll eat it and I can have a vegan ghoul. A vegan ghoul. I wouldn't call it a vegan ghoul if the plant lives off of other people's blood. They have to <laughs> die for this. <laughs> it's a plant. It's a mandragora okay. plant. If if that's the justification need, you can have it. Uh, the book will also First talk off, about... all plants feed on the dead. They get their nutrients from the ground. What do you think those nutrients are? Okay, fair enough. It's, to- it's vampire vegan food. <laughs> Nothing was inhumanely killed to make the mandragora plant. Just so happens it feeds on blood. However, when I eat it, I'm eating a plant that counts as blood. Eh? No? Uh, eh? uh, if that's what you need to tell yourself so you can sleep during the day. <laughs> uh. <laughs> What's the uh, second thing? Uh, the second thing is the the idea of uh, ghoul families, of ghoul bloodlines. It's um, to, to make this a TLDR, it's when you're able to actually start breeding ghouls. The, the book will go into a thing like ghouls. If you just make random people ghouls, it's very hard for them to to reproduce. But if they're from ghoul bloodlines, it's much easier for them to get together. But then there's the whole chicken and the egg. If that's the case, how did these ghoul bloodlines start to begin with? Right. And it's a what I'm back to is that how is that different? The regnant families that you had in Masquerade, right? When I was reading it, I kind of got that feel like, you know, hey, this is going away. Yeah. It's the same thing. But yeah, that I believe that is what it is. But it's another continuation of it. They did make it so that it's they're more accessible, right? Because in Masquerade Revenants were, they weren't just associated with the Zemis, but they were, that's largely what people think of, right? Because most of the families were involved with them. Uh, However, in this one, they make it a point that these can, these families can be bred by people. And honestly, it's not that difficult. It just takes time. Yeah. And it's, it's the same thing in, in, in Masquerade. They went that direction. I wonder if Requiem influenced them probably did. That uh, it went from being just a me only to then you started hearing, oh, well, don't forget, the Asimites had their own and the Sedites had their own. And, hey, okay. the Giovanni might have had their backwoods secret people, too. And now, you know, you know other right. people you know dabbled. The Rosalini are now revenants. I do remember reading that in the I think it was actually the second ghoul book. Now that you say that, now that you say that, I think it was. So, yeah, maybe it was like picking back and forth. I do actually kind of like that idea. Well, there's something like the old Perch Nikki that came up out of nowhere, right? 
And uh, that's uh, that's something that was like cool, a cool idea that they came there, but you can see where they got the inference from. But that's great. But it's nice to see, okay, here's where it's at, and maybe that's what it was. This is first edition Requiem, after all. It's like, what, 2005? This is 2005, that's correct. So that's the, uh, it's it's possible, it's possible. And I enjoy that, you know, it's okay to borrow from uh, your your own brand, I guess, to, to make that happen in, in a more interesting way. It's always fun. But I, I don't take away anything you said. To show how showcase how that goes in a game that believes a bloodline could be started by anyone who is a vampire, that's pretty cool. And then start your legit own family, this now gets creepy. It's like how to be relevant in your own. Well, if you can't be cool in your Elysium, then make your own. Right? I, you're laughing. Think about it. How many people get frustrated? I went there during acknowledgement and they made fun of me and nobody even saw me. And it's going to be monstrous. I mean, this is garbage. But then that person turns around and goes home and has like 15 retainers, right? And they're all part of a family. They have their own hierarchy and they're waiting patiently with their own status and station to show off the newest member who's visiting in the town on your estate. Now you're pissed. You didn't get into the vampire night society, any, any further leverage at all. But when you come home, suddenly, when you come home, suddenly there's your own party. And if you heard that, that is my, uh, someone dove off a top shelf and realized they need to be able to gravity exist is what that was. So I hope that could be edited out. I was talking in the middle, but if not, that's what it was. Little guy's okay. If not stunned, we'll just leave it at that. Um, he needs to stop trying to fly, but that's the, um, third kid where you do, right? But, um, I digress. Uh, the point is this book from back to front was a joy to read. Absolutely. It enhances your understanding of the world of darkness. If you think it's a ghoul book, whatever, I understand ghouls moving on, you're missing out. There's a whole nuance that you're skipping again. You hear me say this a lot. That's because it's true. These guys are scam artists who make these materials. They understand that every book they make has to thread you into the product that it came from. Right, exactly. That's that's what I, I think I've said this before, but I'll go ahead and say it again. I don't care to beat this dead horse. What I love about Chronicles of Darkness in general is that it's a toolkit system. And what that allows them to do is with each of these books, they can have like core concepts they talk about in their core books. But in these side books, they just they just expand on it more. They add that nuance, that subtlety that we've that we spent like what the past hour talking about. And we could still talk on it more. <laughs> And what's cool about this book in and of itself, you might as well call it its own uh, World of Darkness brand on this yeah. book alone. Because if, if there's World of Darkness, the blue book, as you understand, we talked about that in the beginning, um, then and that's where the mortals are. And then you had a template, if you will, of being a vampire or any of the other brands there that we won't mention yet uh, in their time. But this is the ghoul branch, right? It's still Requiem branches off in the ghoul. You could still run a solid game off of just ghouls alone and understanding everything we're talking about. Like I said, the beginning story is so powerful. You can get behind a coterie that meets together to talk about their regnants and maybe the story of how they become hunter goals, right? And they talk about the abuses they suffer. And if anything, mankind has proven when pushed to task, when you push too far and they're not dead, they bounce back hard and uh, they, they, they rise to the occasion. And just because you're a vampire then, and especially I fucking hate that bitch in that story in the beginning. I really do. Can I state that? I'm going to say that. Like, when it, it's just that gesture. He gets up and this dude's just like, pining for her and it's an addiction and, and when you read later on it's a physical thing he can't help but hurt for and he's not even wanting her body but she's actually tempted to just give him sex right which isn't satisfying that craving not at all oh, i'll leave sleep with you it does nothing for him but torment him and i'm like i'd like to choke the shit out of her but then does one better he's biting the inside of his lip as she does it because he wants the blood in her and she goes stop come here and when he goes over there, she's like, open your mouth. And he's like, oh, thank God. 
she knows I'm hurting. And all she does is lick the blood that he drew on his own teeth. And then she tells him to shut his mouth and leave. And I was like, you know what would happen? This is why Bob can't be a ghoul. It'd be on. It'd be on like Donkey Kong. That would happen. <laughs> F that. I got an addiction. It's in your veins. You'd be able to maul her face like a wild Doberman. <laughs> would have chewed on her and whatnot. Shook it left and right. Died horribly. She'd have broke me in half like Tinder and thrown me in a fireplace. But you know what? I'd have got that blood. Yeah, I'd have had a moment of it, right? But Bob, what about that vinculum? Okay, all right. Maybe not them. But if they ever bring any of their coterie mates around, Time it's out. Done. You said what about that vinculum? Yeah, that's great. I love, I told you. Love is not the obe- blind obedience of someone. That's the danger. I described that. I can love you so much that it hurts. But if I, the moment I've been around you long enough to know that hurt, yeah, there's an emotional aspect, but there's a physical. And you're willing to punk me that bad? You're going to humiliate me that far? You're going to go that step and bring in that joker to do what you got to do? Oh, man, am I murderous. And you would have to know that about me. This is why I don't get selected. You understand? <laughs> I'm telling you right now. Oh, we don't choose Bob. Don't go him. Now, don't go, don't even like give him Kool Aid. Just uh, he gets the coke. Don't even give him Kool Aid. He gets the gin and toxic gin and rum. Keep him aside. Like f f him and any of that stuff. We don't want that. Man, be a mad ape type. I'd go at somebody, dude. And uh, and why I do that? I believe it in my soul. It's the way it was written was so good as to trigger me. Not because I've been in that situation, but I feel for this dude. If I'm in his, I'm like screaming at him. Where the hell? is the things you've done for this person and you know it's deep, right? Mm-hmm. He's mentioned nothing about his life and even when he's going through his life, his life is only them. And at what point do you just burn the whole house down with her inside of it, right? Even if she is like, a, oh, let's say it's a Davis, somebody you can't physically take, like, all right, I'm gonna get mine. Don't you worry about it. As soon as dawn comes around, you're just going to the gas station, fill up containers. Let's talk about that. We didn't get here. The book's done, folks. You can turn this off if you like, but let's talk about that. I immediately sat there and said, um, they don't want to bring up something I'm going to. Like, you know, White Wolf has shut off their ears. They go walk away from the podcast. There's nothing to do with them at this point. It's just straight up Bobism right here. I read this stuff and I think about it. And I'm sitting here going, this chick all naked in her naughty bits doing her thing. But during the day, doesn't that ebb just a little bit? The master sleeping. There she is under a silk bed with drunken coyote boy. And it's like, yeah, she had him for a good time. That's great. I got this mallet. I'm gonna make her a. I'm gonna make her a bum hito real quick. And I'm gonna slam him in the head. And I'm gonna get that nice and filled up. Why? Because my morality's already jacked. I'm already this far. It's already bad. I'm hurting. I need my cup of cup of her. And I gotta figure out a way to do it. Like we already established, we're already hiding bodies at this point. The step between hiding bodies and making bodies is a lot shorter between being regular old average Joe and then burying bodies in the woods. And since we're shutting that off right here, that filter valve a little bit, we can go back to that sexual point where they highlight the fact that deviancy is more than that. They talk about serial killers usually having some sort of deviant behavior in their life that that, mm-hmm. that compounds how they rationalize and see sexuality later on. For instance, there was a, uh, I believe, a kickball scenario they get where innocently as a kid, um, you remember playing kickball all the time and you liked it, but then you got kicked in the head by a ball by a girl. Oh, right? yeah, 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 but, yeah. But later on in life, you got to go through some sort of deviant behavior with getting kicked in the head or being hurt by a girl while you're with her because it relates back to that, that people can develop weird things when they do that. And why they mention spree killers and serial killers, because that's what they're talking about when you replace sex with another activity that gives you that scratch, right? The empowerment of taking a life. Now, I'm not saying I'm a serial killer. I'm a very passionate man, though. And what I'm saying is, if it's so far I'm protecting your ass and you're buck naked under silk, 
And you're going to punk me so far as to tell me, don't come back today. I'm going to be busy up until dawn. You know what I mean? Ta-ta. Yeah, I know what you mean. Don't worry, baby. I got you. And then uh, I'm going to come back because no doubt I got the keys. I'm not going to come hey, back. Right? I was just thinking that. Or I'm going to do something devious. I'm going to go to my little meeting hookup where Rhino Brennan's there. And Brennan got that splint in his hand because this master's a psycho. And I'm like, what he do to you again? And he's like, nah, I don't want to talk about it. Look, I'm a, you got the shakes, Bob? Hell yeah, I got the shakes. I can't get rid of him, man. You should have saw what she did, man. I don't, man, I love her though. That's cool. And Brennan's like, you, you want me to help? Yeah, man, I just need a taste. I got you. Where, what's the address? Man, I don't need you. Man, come with me. Just don't come in the house. Okay. Right? Where's that talk that the buddy system isn't going to help you get yours? Right? Is, is all I'm saying. And that's the risk of the regnant because this woman is stupid. If you're a vampire tree, I don't understand the propensity. It's the way sometimes they write vampires where it's like they're careless. They're so careless as to think that, that you're just this blind, devoted dog that won't think of a way out of it. You know how many gamers I, I know of that we talk about that we get to Cambros or otherwise to think circumvent a rule? Right. I, I do know what you mean. Uh, and to like kind of think about this, I've, I've always I kind of equate ghouls with like pets to a degree or not really pets. Right. But like if you have a because if you have a shepherd dog, like a legit one, it's not a pet. It, it's a worker. Right. And you don't you might not treat it like a family member, but you do treat it well because you need it for a reason. And if you have a ghoul, you have one for a reason. Add on to the fact that this is now a working animal that can think and reason and can blackmail you because there's no way this thing is around and it's not learning something about you. If you don't treat it well, it's going to be a problem later on down the line because as long as you're keeping them, they're going to be around, right? That's the other thing. Ghouls don't die unless you let them die pretty much. Or, you know, they get rolled over by like, you know, a car or something. Yeah. Right. But like. I know what you mean. I think I've only in in the games I've played with you. I think I've only actually had one retainer before. The only one I can actually remember is that frickin lawyer for the Revenant. And I made sure I treated her great because I knew how important she was. And I knew she was going to know where my bodies were buried. And this, and this is the important factor that I think they kick in for you. They give you the bad examples, the worst examples. So you feel exactly what we're talking about now. I know why that's done. And so you see, and also realistic, not everybody knows how to treat someone. Not everybody gets that because power is supposed to power is supposed to be a corrupting element as well. And it depends on the character you're playing. And you can out of game wink it and just say, all my all my ghouls are treated well. But there is something to say that there should be that Deva player that does treat only some well. And the rest are to the wayside or has a bunch of thralls and doesn't care how that pans out. That's that that's enjoyable to me. But the point is, I really think something bad should happen to vampires who do something heinous like she did. And if they, let me, my point, knowing when to act out as a ghoul is everything from a storyteller perspective to a player perspective. If somebody's going to treat someone like that, you're still a human being. And the idea of obsession play and of an emotional focus does not mean it turns to hate. I can still love you and pick a fight with you. Look at War of the Roses. Look it up, right? Those are people dead fast in love with each other that know how to push each other's buttons, know how to work each other. That's still love. What's that like when you have a vampire obsessed or a mortal obsessed with a vampire? I imagine it turns into something a la like Renfield. I still look at Renfield as somebody who loves the master so much, but the moment he realized he wasn't going to be made immortal, it was still in him to direct people towards the master and then try to ward them off at the, at the end out of guilt, right? That for a brief moment, he was himself realizing he was getting screwed over and bucked, but then realized what a horrible mistake he made. And that's how it is. And I think ghouls go through this cycle constantly. And that torment, that emotional storm is everything. 
And it's their own personal requiem that the Regna is in charge of playing, right? That's the point I want to make out of this book. To think that every ghoul is going to be cookie cutter is a mistake. And it, and it should be considered a mistake. To think that just because you're a Deva, they all act this way. You're a Venture, they all act this way. You're doing a mistake. They're unique individuals who went through every bit of their... If you need a mechanic to help you, your ghoul's still made of the same blue book you came from. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely they are. And to, to hammer home something you were just saying, like these... These clans in Requiem do have stereotypes, right? But they're they're all built to be like wide, right? They're not supposed to be something that you would just have like, oh, this is an obvious Ventru, right? Or an obvious Deva. They're more like flavors and like kind of push things in a direction or they can push them in a couple of different directions. But I point that out to say that every every and to, to just hammer home what you're saying, every ghoul, vampire, every character is their own person built in very similar manner and it's just experiences that happened to them along the way that's changed them i agree and on that we're going to end it because i feel myself wanting to go more in depth on talking smack about ghouls and get stuff ghouled them in we're going to leave that alone you're very easy for me to do that with because i know you want to go that distance so i want to thank everyone for coming out and uh giving us your time of course it's all always a blast uh, to go over this material that we know and love and uh definitely get this book um Use our affiliate link, enjoy it. And uh, Brennan, what is the next book that we're going over? Our next book is City of the Damned New Orleans. Oh, fun. <laughs> you don't like New Orleans? It's it's a big book is all I'm saying. I said, oh, fun. It, yeah, it is a huge book. <laughs> yeah, for folks to know that process, that's a bit the slice and know what to talk about it. Not. So it'll be a it'll be a good talk. We'll be we'll be involved, but. Thank you, everybody, and we'll, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM, at our email, info at 25 yearsvtmcom on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 yearsvtm or on our website, www.25yearsvtm.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade.